got the need the need to podcast this is episode 19 jerry mcguire from 1996 i'm joey Lewandowski, and i'm mike manzi and we are guest free today to talk about a movie i think you and i had talked about it a couple times on here like i was like i don't know if this is i don't remember if i like it or not you said that you weren't sure if it was great but it won you over in the end again i'm not sure if this is a good i know it's nominated for best picture i don't know if this is a good movie but i really really like it i uh didn't like it as much this time really I, okay yeah, okay I don't, I don't know it's not like i hate it i don't hate it you know it's just i don't know i wasn't on i wasn't on the wavelength with it this time I, maybe it's the whole sports thing behind the scenes things it's not but that you I, love I, sports i do now it's not that i don't it's just like i don't know i was feeling sort of like lost every every once in a while in this movie and then i thought the romance came across um kind of over the top this time around too i have lots of trivia about this who this almost was the important thing and i want you to think about this in times in terms of the entire conversation we're about to have when cameron crowe was writing the screenplay took him three and a half years okay because he just writes and writes and writes and writes and writes and writes writes yeah fast times his original dream casting for jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. tom hanks get out which would be weird. Oh my god. Oh my god. So wait, so definitely at the end of this show, you know, would Tom Hanks, you know, be able to pull this off? Yeah. <laughs> like we could just answer that now cuz Cameron Crowe wanted him. And so what happened was because it took 3 and a half years, mm. he sort of aged out of it. Not that he's wildly older than Cruz, but I guess it was sort of he was looking for that Mm-hmm. sort of younger like Cruz says he's 35 in this movie I think he's probably 31 32 while making it so he's not he's playing up and I guess Hanks couldn't hmm. play down I don't know I don't know but even crazier is that when Hanks was the lead the ideal for uh for the Renee Zellweger role was Winona Ryder no no what on earth would you right? may as well make it Keanu and you know San- or Sandra Bullock Hanks is no longer involved because he's too old. Plus, he had just won two back-to-back Oscars. <laughs> Plus, he's making that thing you do. He's directing that thing you do. And so they get Cruz. And Cruz is like, okay, cool. And then they're like, yeah, we can still do Winona. And then they screen-tested it, and they're like, oh, they look like brother and sister. And oh, I've yeah, never thought do. about that before, but I guess that makes sense. Huh. Or at least so related. Winona was almost in this with Tom Cruise and with Tom Hanks, and neither of them worked out. But obviously... We have Renee Zellweger here. We've got your boy Cuba. Mm, We've got uh, John Travolta's wife, Kelly Preston. Mm-hmm. I've got lots of trivia about all of them. We will get to that later. Oh, Jay Moore, you know, from Action. Little Keanu. Yes, from the one episode that Keanu was in. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's kick things off. So I know that you did not like this movie as much this time around. Well, yeah. actually, let's let's talk about, let's start things, the things that you didn't like first. Let's go, let's didn't start negative like. and we'll build our way up. I think, for, first off, I'm going to just throw it out there. This movie's too long. Oh, yeah, 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 by far. It, it, it feels like three movies. It feels like a bunch of TV. You know, that's how I, I guess that's one of my big complaints is it felt oh, like... Oh, actually, hold on. Time out. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was talking to past and future guest Christian Larson, and he uh-huh. was saying to me, and I think we get into a habit, you and I, were like, oh, everybody's seen these movies. And I think for a lot of the Cruise movies, that's true, right? Like, I think that yeah, a lot of people have seen all these Especially this one. Especially this one. But I do want to, when I think of it, do a better job of explaining what the movie is early in the podcast. So if somebody just is tuning in, they won't be completely lost. They'll just be a little bit lost. Right, yeah. So Jerry Maguire is a movie about Tom Cruise as the titular Jerry Maguire. This is the first time, I think, that he's ever played the, at least up to this point in his career, that he's played the titular role. So that's important. 
Awesome. And he is a sports agent who's at this big agency, and he gets fired because he puts out a memo that says we should take on fewer clients and make less money. And everyone loves it, and then Jay Moore is like, cool, you're gone. He tries to get all of his clients, like his own personal clients, when he's representing through the agency, and they all say no, except for Cuba, and except for Peter Gallagher, who is a college, college quarterback about to go number one in the draft. He eventually screws Cruz over, so the most of the movie... Cruz has his one client, Cuba Gooding Jr., who's trying to get re-signed by the Cardinals and make a lot of money and give him give his family security. Meanwhile, the only employee who left, the only employee who cared about Cruz's sort of pilgrimage, his dream, his goal in, you know, fewer clients, less money, whatever, was Renee Zellweger, who's a single mom of Jonathan Lipnicki, who I think everybody knows is the adorable little kid who's like, the human head weighs eight pounds. And so she leaves with him, they fall in love, they have a strained relationship because they get things too fast, and then at the end of the movie, things sort of rebound, recoup, and there's a happy ending for everybody involved. Yes. Is there anything that I left out? Anything that I missed of importance? No, I think you got it all. Uh, I love that um, you complete me became like a big line in the dark night. But I also found out that right after he says that, she says you had me at hello. I was like, whoa, two mega back-to-back one-liners coming right after the other in this movie. Crazy. Well, you complete me is on the in the elevator. Oh yeah, they do with the sign language and stuff. Because that's but... not him. Yeah, you know, you have me at hello is hers, but the you complete me. And there's a lot of trivia on IMDb about like actually in the in the sign languages means you make me feel complete. I don't care. Well, yeah, it, that, doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. You complete me is is good. But I just love how the Joker saw this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I guess I was getting into before the plot summary and stuff is this feels like a truncated or an elongated at that like a like a pilot for a show or a bunch of episodes of a truncated like episodes of a tv show or something where like it's about this you know it's about this agent and stuff because it goes through so much and i don't you know it's super long and i feel like a lot of this stuff i don't know what to cut but i feel like maybe a lot of stuff early on you know just trimming things like when he's trying to get his clients over the phone early on and not lose all of his clients but like i don't know i also kind of feel like tom cruise is a little miscast here like i think he's i think everyone's really i think everyone's good but i don't he was know. nominated for an oscar and he won a golden globe for this so miscast or not i mean he the, the people loved him in this movie like i think he's good in the role but i don't think the role is good for him and I, i've kind of explained like it, it makes total sense that tom hanks would be in this because it feels like it's a story built more for like an everyman and it seems like oh we got tom Tom Cruise now we have to sort of change this to make him like a womanizer or like all girls are crazy or like he's we have to use him his super handsomeness and I feel like that kind of got in the way in this screening I was like wow they're really falling back on like how dreamy he is as opposed to just like I don't know his like ethics or you know his manifesto sticking to that and I don't know it kind of distracted me a little bit along the way. And I am surprised by how little you like this movie, or how how much, how far off you had sort of fallen, because like it was a couple yeah. episodes ago that you were the one convincing me, like, no, it's going to be good, it's going to be fun, and I was having a good time. Like, I agree, too long, things don't necessarily always work, some of the dialogue in here doesn't hold up 23 years later, but I think for the most part, like, this is still a good, fun movie, and I wonder if this is just one that, like, if you watch it again in a couple months, mm-hmm. if you're going to have a different mind. Like, maybe yeah. just, like, you know, not a bad thing, but just, like, whatever is going on, like, whatever you're thinking about didn't click for you this time. But I feel like this still, for the most part, it's kind of a corny movie. But again, like we were talking about a long shot for the Charlize podcast, watch The Throne, go check that out. <laughs> Rom-coms are 
kind of always corny in a sense, right? Like they're yeah. always a little bit sort of, or mostly, you know, for the most part, they're kind of corny and goofy and sort of know where they're going, but doesn't really matter because they make you feel the feelings at the end. Like, did you feel emotional at the end when he comes in and she starts crying and he's crying? Like, did you feel that then or no? You know, I did. I, I you know, like everything stopped. I was really focused and zoned in on that scene and that moment and everything. And I don't know necessarily. I mean, I no one's more surprised right now than I am. Like, I remember loving this movie like thinking it's great and I still like it don't get me wrong it's just I was surprised watching it this time and sort of like how much it was like not bothering me but I just how many things how much it just wasn't connecting with it this time and that kind of bothered me about it you know it was like I just remembered being all in on this one and now I'm like I still like it but it's like man I just wish I still liked it more you know I think that the things that I don't like about this movie I don't think that I think it's too long I don't know that there's really main threads you can cut out because I think that there's a lot of good character development here but even if you cut out like 15 minutes somehow just made scenes shorter having it clock on clock in under two hours as opposed to 212 no 218 mm-hmm. you know if you get it under two I think it's gonna be a sizable difference yeah. as I was watching because I've only seen this once before tonight and okay. this is the second time that I watched it as I, as we prepare for NFL kickoff tonight it is the perfect, <laughs> I guess, first day of football season movie to watch. I like that there were, you know, authentic football, like they got the, the rights and the licenses. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. As I was watching it, I, w- I couldn't remember the role that the divorced women played. And I don't know that you necessarily need them. Like, I think them and the mm-hmm. au pair, like there's stuff that makes the relationship between Renee Zellweger and Bonnie Hunt and Tom Cruise and, and Jonathan Lipnicki, like the four of them, I think it fleshes out their world a little bit more, specifically Renee Zellweger, but I don't know if you necessarily need that. Yeah. This is a rom-com. This is a movie where, you know, Cruise and Renee Zellweger fall in love and get married and maybe almost get divorced, but reconcile in the end. But it's also a movie about, it's kind of a romance of sorts between Cruise and Cuba, right? And I don't know that you mm-hmm. necessarily romance. need that much fleshing out beyond those two dynamics. Like, I love Bonnie Hunt. I would not get rid of Bonnie Hunt. Tom Cruise did not remember. If you'll remember, I don't even, I, I sort of forgot, but she was the waitress in Rain Man for that one scene. Oh, she that's She went up to Cruise on set and was like, you know, we work together. He's like, no, you're not. You're kidding, right? And she's like, no, we work together. He's like, oh, but he forgot. And so again, sort of maybe Gwyneth Paltrow and Bucky Barnes. <laughs> not that extreme. Quite. Not that extreme. They didn't make three movies together. <laughs> but I, I love the Bonnie Hunt part. Like, I just think that there's, there's, sort of tangents here mm-hmm. people you can kind of cut out like i would leave everything with regina king i think her character is great i think the giving kuba something to work with like i think she's kind of the bonnie hunt to his character yeah. i think that works i just think that there's little bits here and there you cut out a scene here you cut out a couple lines here yeah suddenly you're under two hours and this movie sort of feels a lot quicker i think yeah. my biggest takeaway my biggest negative about this movie is just that it's too long i mean you know the, i think maybe mm-hmm. the only other movie that cruise was ever married in if you want to check me on this was far and away i think he married nicole kidman in that maybe they weren't married i don't remember mm-hmm. but that was like a two and a half hour romance story right like that's kind of the yeah. only other time he's really had a, a romantic lead a romantic story and that didn't feel long at two and a half hours because it had like this epic feel this kind of feels like a smaller sort of story i don't think it needs to be as long as it should be or as long as it is yeah i definitely agree with that i think maybe that's where my frustration was coming from this time around and i I think i'm gonna lean in on on this length issue a little bit further because when the movie opens and it starts off as like you know sports agent montage movie and it's like it's almost a completely different type of movie it feels like they've already cut a half hour of this like first act so like cut even more like why show me that robert loge is here and never gonna return again you know i love that goddamn guy like why tease me like that 
that. Like he's he says one line and he's never seen again. Like just cut all that shit and have it start after he's already been fired, and then you get all the stuff about the manifesto, Jay Moore's character, weave them in and out of the movie as they are, and you get it. You get you know what I'm saying? Like the way people were reacting to him. Jerry Maguire's like breakdown throughout this entire film like you get the picture you understand why and what's going on all the time with that and so like i really feel like you know i understand we need to know the world he came from but i don't think we need to see it as much as we do here because we see the repercussions are devastating you know like he's on his own and we get that and so it must have been a heavy fallout i'm suggesting to cut like even more out of this opening thing here where he's like jet setting you know all the voiceover kind of thing i think you need that a little bit because i think you need to set up that he like just how far he's fallen maybe you could do that quicker i don't know but i think you need to prove that he is this guy on great heights you know not necessarily maybe a partner at this firm but like you know the top agent or whatever and for him to go from king of the world to go from that level to just having one client and almost losing that one client a couple times setting it up in the beginning is needed i don't know if it needs to be as long or as fully realized as it is but i don't have as much of an issue with that maybe as you do. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like it wants to be more of just the traditional rom-com, but Cameron Crowe isn't really, like, letting it or doesn't know how to just, like, let it be a rom-com. He's, like, Cameron Crowing it all along, you know? Like, because the guy's, like, a journalist, so, like, he gets into, like, I don't know, weird fixations, I feel, sometimes, and this is, like, him sort of analyzing the NFL in a way, and, like, maybe he, like, read an article about agents and stuff and was like, oh, shit, like, there's my idea and everything. And so some Sometimes, like, maybe that's coming through. Maybe his voice is, like, too strong at times or something, and it's just sort of getting in the way of the tone of the movie, and it's feeling less like romantic comedy and more sort of dramatic office movie or something like that, or, yeah, fictional bio or something. I think it comes down to how you're watching the movie. Like, I kind of forgot, like, I knew the lines. I knew you complete me. I know you have me at hello. Like, I still, in spite of the two big lines that, you know, he and Renee Zellweger share... I forgot how much of this movie was a romantic comedy. And so I was watching mostly as a sports movie, as an Mm -hmm. agent movie, and it worked for me. I think that there is an odd blend between the two, between balancing the two different relationships here. I think it works, but I think that if you're looking at it as a rom-com, there's a lot here that it's like, well, I don't really care. Like, I think it's well Mm -hmm. done, but I don't really care about the sports stuff. Or if you don't really care about the relationship, there's like a lot of that too. Like, I think there's a lot of both, and I think they're well done, but it's like a very delicate balance. Yeah. And I think if you're watching it necessary, you know, for one or the other, it might be a little off-putting how much of the other one there actually is. Well, it's like a really sort of daunting idea, believe it or not. Like, I kind of feel like it seems so simple, but like the average Joe, right? Like going to see this movie has no idea about like sports agents and stuff. You know what I'm saying? So like, it kind of feels like it's almost ahead of its time in that it's like out of its element because we haven't seen like Moneyball or like... I don't even know if any given Sunday was out and stuff. I feel like that had a lot of behind the scenes. No, I think that was after this. Okay. Well, so then it, maybe it like started a run of it. And like, I almost feel like it's a prototype in a lot of ways of this kind of like unconventional job movie mixed with romance and the whole nine yards like that. Like, cause I, I almost feel like it became a parody in the late two thousands where it was like, you know, the boyfriend in the romantic comedy was like, I don't know, like he, he was off in Africa, like taking pictures of, some tribe that you know no one's ever seen before like it just became like sort of a punchline that his job was so sort of out of the ordinary or something so I wondered if that maybe it was like just hard for people in general like me like myself is just trying to absorb the world of Jerry 
Maguire, but now I also need to like get into the life of him as well. So it is a little hard for someone like me to just like catch up, I guess, on both things at once. Another thing that I wasn't necessarily crazy about, and I think this is just the fact that this is, you know, from 23, 20, you know, we're closing in on 25 years ago. I think this came out in 96, right? Like a lot of the dialogue, because this is a Cameron Crowe movie, is memorable, is... I was writing in a lot of quotes. I was like, oh, this is all catchy. This is all good. This is all, you know, stuff I'm going to remember. And then there are certain things that I think are supposed to be awkward then, but like really don't age well. Tom Cruise on the on the phone to one of his clients saying like, he said, I don't know what it's like to be a black person. I'm Mr. Black People. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I love the black man. I love black people. You my mofo, show me the money. It's just like, ooh, like that's not yeah. great. Like not that that was necessarily ever good, but like now, especially just like, oh, like I know that they're kind of poking fun at him a little bit there, but it's still like, oh, this is, ooh, okay. Yeah, I did not remember it being sort of, that in that context like I, I actually forgot all about that exchange where he's like I, he said that about me I am Mr. Blackman I was like what is going on with this like it's kind of crazy but I don't know I just love when like he's on the phone with Cuba the whole show me the money thing still works for me even though it is like very over the top but I think you're right like I think the idea is like they need to figure out a way to lower this guy in our minds because we're rooting for him so they have to sort of like turn him into a nerd somehow and so they sort of establish him as someone who isn't really as in touch with his players or in Cuba is younger than him, right? So even the like younger people, like even 10 years younger, even Renee Zellweger, like it, com- it kind of seems like they need to show that he's sort of out of touch somehow in some way because he's so damn handsome and good at his job and stuff. And so I think that might have been something they're going for. It works too. Like it's super cringy. Kind of makes me go, oh boy, he's like... He is kind of a dork. <laughs> there was another line later. I'm trying to find if I can. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can find it. Oh, you know what he says to Cuba at one time? He goes, "That's the truth. Can you handle it?" <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. I heard that, and I was like, "Ooh." There was a line that he says to Cuba later, where he says, "I didn't shoplift the pooty." And oh, I was like, Ooh. yeah. That's not great. Not that that was ever great, but that's not great. No. And that's not, you know, it's something that he's echoing from Cuba, but it's just like, that's not great. No, it's not. It shouldn't have even come out of Cuba's mouth at the time and stuff. And that's the thing, too, is like... Well, uh, also, it's, I think it's probably the same year that Pootie Tang came out, so in that regard, it's funny. I don't know, but also, but, like, that was yeah. written and directed by Louie, and, we're, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all weird. It's all uh, not great. In a weird way, like, Crow's making up, like, all of this, like, fake terminology so he can kind of get away with it a little more because they introduced like the whole Quan type of thing and everything and Cooper's just got like all of his little like words and shit I feel and so I don't know if they're trying to show that he's like trying to create like a vocabulary on his own or something I don't know it just seems to me that like Cameron Crowe is sort of trying to lean away from what the kids are saying and like create these like new terminology with this movie it's like everyone's saying what like Cuba Gooding Jr. said and Jerry Maguire this summer it's like no one is saying like I have to get my Quan in order or whatever they're saying one thing in terms of the relationship factor that I think that they do well and this can sort of transition us maybe into the 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 good parts about the movie because there's a lot of this movie that I really really like more that I like than I don't like, I think that they do a good job, and I think this is where you were saying early on that one of the things that didn't necessarily work for you was the the romance between him and Renee Zellweger. And I think there's a it's a weird thing to include in the movie at his bachelor party, but they have that basically that burn book, right? Like they're doing the video mm-hmm. where like they're just talking about they have all of his ex girlfriends, you know, talking shit about him. Basically, I think it's a weird video to show in public at all, right? Like that's just a weird thing to do for what seems like he's their boss, kind of, but also maybe not. I don't know. Like he's an office. Like it seems like he's higher up. And everybody's just like, oh, ha, ha, 
Good one. But then he gets fired by Jay Moore. Yes. So it's very weird. I also thought Jay Moore was below him. I had no idea. Jay Moore is like, is he even a real character? Is this just like a figment of Tom Cruise's imagination? Because it doesn't, he's so like different than the rest of the characters in this movie. It seems he's like super evil, very over the top, very blunt. I don't know. It just, he seemed a little off of the rest of the movie but anyway it's weird it is weird i think he's a he's more of a caricature than a character but yeah think, that's it what i think is nice about that video and i think that this sort of puts the relationship between cruz and zellweger in proper context there's two things that the, the women point out that number one he can't be alone and that number mm-hmm. two he's great at romance but bad at intimacy and i think that both of those sort of explain why their relationship feels as haphazard as as it does right like that he basically after what seems like three dates is like hey move in with me marry me and she Mm -hmm. says yes and they get married the next scene when he's in the hallway the first night like after their first date and he stays over and they sleep together then he wakes up and he hears very like way too loudly renee zellweger in the kitchen like telling bonnie hunt like i love him i know in every fiber of my being he is the one lady you just said like two scenes ago that you're a mom you need to be careful and now here you are like oh he's the one it's like well that's a little strange i get there's like a romantic sentiment there I don't mind that as much. I think the movie does a pretty good job of setting up why this all feels weird and out of place and rushed. And I think that the Bonnie Hunt character, and she's even said that she's sort of at the audience surrogate here, following her, and she's just like the whole time, she's like, I don't know what's going... I don't know what's happening. None of this makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It is a weird relationship, but I think it's well done in the movie because I think it is set up to be, oh, this guy is not good at this. Like, he's good at a lot of things, but he's not good at this. When he hears her saying too loudly, I love him, he is the one, I feel like most normal people would be like, hey, I'm going to go. But he's like, I think there's somewhere in his mind he's saying oh, I can kind of use this information and manipulate this. Like, I think I like this girl. I think I like her, but I also don't know for sure, but I know that she loves me, and since I can't be alone, I have her. Like, she's hooked. And I don't think they get into that, like, nefarious way in his mind, but I think that the movie does a good job of setting up sort of why it doesn't work. And I mean... Whether or not you think that the way that they do that is well done or not is totally fair and you know worth debate, but the messiness of their relationship is pretty well established in this movie. Yeah, I, I could agree with all that. I guess I just, I, I wasn't exactly keen on the opening scene of Renee Zellweger like swooning over Jerry Maguire in first class. Yeah, like, that's in weird. The middle. That's a little weird. Like if she had just, if they had just come in with her as the girl who left with him in the office and then everything else sort of came out when you're talking to her sister and everything, like pitch perfect character, I think. But I still am a little sort of tipsy on her full motivation for not necessarily falling for Jerry Maguire, but like agreeing to do this whirlwind sort of relationship kind of thing you know because like she's on her way to like a real job and like doing you know things the the, the, like not the right way but like you know a better way per se than like jumping directly into a marriage which isn't based on love he even says like he's all about commitment and stuff and i feel like he feels like he owes it to her because she dropped everything for him that like he has to devote himself to her so like i i I think it pays off in the end for sure it earns where it lands i just think like along the way for a movie this long i was 
guess I was they just, just take ex- shortcuts. Yeah, I guess I was just expecting to be able to track the time a lot better and see the growth a lot more. But it does jump quite a bit from time to time, and 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 it that isn't really even that's not really what's bothering me either. I can't even quite put my finger on it. I think it's just like maybe everything is just a little too overblown. Like that scene where he hears her in the hallway and stuff. Like that to me was killing me because I was just like it's just starting to get like schmaltzy and like schlocky yep. and stuff yeah. like that. And every once in a while, you know, Lipnicki excluded because he can't hit on that kid. He's great and everything. But, you know, aside from that, I feel like he really tries to, like, pull on those heartstrings when he doesn't, he just doesn't need to. Yeah, I get that. I think that is, to a certain extent, just, like, what this kind of movie is going to be. Because yeah. it's going to be a success story, right? Like, it has to be, like, in the end, you know, if, if Kuba gets paralyzed in the game, <laughs> or if, you know, he retires or the team doesn't offer them the contract, like... Or if he fires Jerry after Yeah, like, all of that, it's just, like, that's a wildly different story. That's not a blockbuster. It's not a movie that you spend $50 million to make, right? Like, that's not something... Yes. That it, might, it might be remembered, but it's going to be remembered for a different reason. I think that the movie they're making is intentionally corny and is intentionally schmaltzy and schlocky and all that different stuff because it wants to leave you with the feeling that, like, oh, this is kind of wonderful. Like, things work yeah. out. Like, there's a happy yeah. ending in life. Yeah, it's a feel-good movie. And mm-hmm. I guess I, I... You know, and that's great. And I guess I had forgot... I guess I forgot that somewhere along the way or didn't realize, like, how much it really was, like, pulling on that and rewatching it again because I mean it's been like a good decade or so right since I've seen this so like the memory was very foggy but I think next time I sit down to watch this like with this sort of like readjustment like I would definitely enjoy it you know a lot more so what about this did you like what what about this you have a favorite part or favorite <laughs> moment or things that you really do like that fucking kid Lip Nicky is just the best I don't know if you like him or not if you think that he's like annoying I know he I... didn't necessarily go on to do much but like I don't know I there's a term in filmmaking that Robert Rodriguez uses called shooting the dog which just means like every once in a while you can just throw a shot of a dog in a scene to break it up a little bit and like make it breathe and stuff and I feel like he provides that sort of tension breaking you know sort of reminder that yes this is supposed to be more light it's still dramatic like the whole single mother dynamic with Jerry and that becomes a whole issue but I don't know I just every time he showed up I just started laughing it's my I was like this this kid's great like he's such a movie kid that I, I just really liked it he's the kind of kid and it's the kind of performance that I I sort of as soon as he showed up I was like oh right this and <laughs> kind of expected that this was going to be a performance that would not age well like the pretentious you know sophisticated wise beyond his year little kid years little kid too cute for a movie even like it just feels like this is not going to age well and yet my favorite part in this movie is when he's on the phone with Cuba I'm just like this is the greatest exchange <laughs> and like Cruz is just sitting there like us just like tears in his eyes he's laughing so hard just listening to Cuba in the bathtub you know just yelling like you know who I am I'm Rod too well blah 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 I got this I got this I got that record he's like you talk too much and just hangs up like that whole thing yes. you know it doesn't feel it doesn't really feel real but it feels movie real and i just adored it i was surprised at how much i like this kid i mean sometimes you know when he's in the car and he's just being like cute for like a lot it's like okay like i we're, we're maybe shooting the dog a little bit too much here to use your new phrase but nice. i feel like for the most part i don't know how it held up this well but he's just so good in this movie and especially <laughs> in that one scene where it's him and Cuba on the phone, and, you know, Cruz is just drunk giggling on the couch waiting for Renee Zellweger. It's just like, oh, this is the best. Yeah, I was a little worried, too, because I had 
I, you know, to be honest, I think this was one of my least favorite parts the first time I saw the movie. And now I'm like totally come around on it. Like, I think it plays a lot better. And it, I, I don't know, because kids nowadays, like my nieces and nephews are like advanced. And I just feel like kids are just more advanced now. They're, they're a lot like him. Like this, this is more like a kid today than back then. And I think back yeah. then people were like, whoa, this kid's from like outer space. Like, look how cool and quirky and how smart and all this. And it's like time sort of caught up to this character in a really weird weird way and uh, he still for me just like plays really well I was just having it was just really funny another thing that I really liked about this movie like I was saying before is I like the NFL licensing like I like that he's on the Cardinals and not like mm. you know the Tucson Birds or whatever yeah like in the replacements I was thought about the replacements once or twice with Keanu while watching this yeah. movie <laughs> and like you know they have actual NFL players like Troy Aikman's here and they have I don't know if it's a shot like a real shot or not but Dion like walks by like I think that's maybe just like game footage that they repurposed but like Troy Aikman's actually in the movie like there's a lot of people that they actually got like and I don't know I was trying to look that up and I couldn't really come across any kind of thing like I knew that there was a, a deal that the movie had with Reebok to include a lot of Reebok merchandise in the mm-hmm. movie but I didn't see anything like but like a partnership with the NFL. Like it's a minor thing, and I think that if you tell the story well enough, it's not going to make or break the movie. But I think, at least to me, as someone who cares about that kind of stuff, it adds a level of realism and authenticity. Where I'm like, mm. oh, this feels like I get where he's coming from, right? Like yeah. it just it feels genuine in a way that just like you know, I was saying like you know, hmm. the Tucson Redbirds or whatever just doesn't. Yeah. And I even if everything else was identical, it's just like oh, well, like why didn't you get or like why couldn't you get the NFL rights? And I know that that's not as easy as it sounds, but I appreciated that about this movie. You know, it's interesting uh, hearing that, like, because I really dig that, too, like, when they're able to use, like, the real deal and stuff. But I think what what just went off in my brain is, like, most rom-coms are not this realistic, you know? Like, they're just not this grounded in reality. They don't use the real names of the players and stuff. And I think maybe that's what's been throwing me this whole rewatch is like I can't like I don't know where to fall on this movie like is it a rom-com is it like not like what is going like it's supposed to be but it doesn't feel like it to me but yet it is and everything so it's very sort of unique in that way and I don't think that's a bad thing you know it's just it is what I it is I think what's another I think another weird rom-com wrinkle about this is that it has it has a happy ending right like he comes back he gives the emotional speech she takes him back, happy ending. But it also kind of feels like, if you think about it, like, oh, they might not last. Like, he still isn't good at this. Like, he had, like, again, you know, it's the brutal truth, it's the honesty, it's the selling, it's all, like, everything they've been talking about right, this whole time, right? Like, it's like, he's yeah. doing what he needs to do to close the sale, right? Like, he's like, I need her back, I'm no good on my own, I know that she's a great woman, you know, the kid loves me, all this different stuff. He does what he needs to do to get her back. I think you get swept up in the emotion, like, oh my god, they're going to be together forever, like, this is meant to be... But it might not be. And I think that's another sort of realistic thing that, like, they have the happy ending, but, like, you, you do have those happy moments. Like, even in bad relationships, you have a moment where you're like, oh, this is, like, we're going to be okay. You know, another three months goes by, and he doesn't show her the affection that she deserves. She's like, I'm not built this way, right? Like, it feels realistic in a way that, like, oh, this might not work out, and I don't know how this is going to shake out. And this might not be a happy ending, like, you know, two weeks after the movie ends, we might be right back where we were. You know, Rod got mm-hmm. his contract, but, like, Tom Cruise is not, like, less of a broken person. Yeah, and I think the movie even tries to hint at that at the very end when they're walking with Ray and then he throws the ball back to the kids, right? And what does Jerry do? Jerry gets, like, this look in his eye where he's like, 
dollar signs in his eyes, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Renee Zellweger's like, oh, no. Like, no, no. Like, don't even... Th-. And then he goes on to, like, make his case as they walk off into the sunset and fade away. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, oh, no. Like, this is gonna... Like, now he's, like, gonna... Like, the sun's gonna come between them now, and it's gonna be a whole nother piece of the fucking argument game and everything. I was like, the more I think about it, the less I feel like they're gonna make it. At least, like, you know, for Keanu in Sweet November, like, he was cut off. Like, at like she basically dies at the end there's no way they were going to make it it's more fun to think about like what's going to happen when this movie ends another thing that i like about this movie is that i think it further cements tom cruise's just ability to act and to deliver lines like in a few good men the other cuba movie we knew that he could deliver sorkin right like sorkin's like wildly complex or like fast paced and all this different stuff right like it's a very intricate ornate way of delivering lines Cameron Crowe is a different style but again it's all very wordy and very you know literary and authory and everything like that right and he again is able to do that very well and whether or not you think his character is realistic or whatever but like I think that he proves again like I think that the whether or not you think he's miscast ultimately I think that the recognition he got for this movie is good because he is I think at least in my eyes like crushing it in terms of delivering the types of emotions the types of feeling and the type of interactions that I think Cameron Crowe is sort of wanting this character to sort of deliver. I think it's interesting because I feel like the emotional beats come across very sincere for everyone. Even when Renee Zellweger is like going on the date with Jerry and she's talking to her sister in the kitchen and whatever and she's like, you know, I deserve this. Like this and that. Like I got married to a guy I didn't really like me and then he died. And like, you know, this, that and that. And I'm, I'm feeling all of the impact. I think everyone is just such a good actor at, at in this movie at this time too that even when Cuba like breaks down at the end and even when he gets hurt I'm sort of like holding my breath on the sidelines with Jerry and I believe that Jerry and him are actually have forged like a relationship it's to the point where at the end when the guy turns to Bob Sugar is like how come we don't have that kind of relationship it feels like everything is earned even if somewhere along the way I personally feel like maybe they've excluded some of the steps or they've stumbled along the way here or there or something but I never doubt the emotional impact of this movie though because that's just something in the writing that Cameron Crowe's really good at. I always get that too when I watch like Almost Famous like I don't necessarily love that movie but what I love is like those really heavy emotional moments that come through and like it, even to like when they're on the airplane and stuff it's different it's not like a heartfelt emotional thing but it's more of like a scary anxiety kind of thing when they're you know plummeting to their doom and then they're not uh, is such relief so I always feel like him as an artist has been able to sort of get that across like that's even in stuff like Fast Times that he didn't direct you know like I just feel like all of that teen beat those emotions really ring true I'm always home I'm uncool (laughs) I mean right like that character is so I need to watch that movie again I've I've only seen that movie maybe once or twice and it hasn't been for a while like that was one that I meant to watch when Kyle and Brian covered it on Hoffman but I just didn't and I think Cameron Crowe is the kind of thing where to a certain extent you're like uh, again I think he might be in that Lipnicki camp right where it's just like this Hmm. this isn't gonna hold up I'm worried about how this is gonna be and then you watch it like oh no this is good it really sort of straddles that line of like oh this is almost like it's almost to Cameron Crowe. Like, it's almost like too much of mm. exactly what he's doing, but it, it pulls back, and it feels like genuine and authentic in a way that it almost shouldn't be. Like, and I, I think that's just the mark of, like, a good writer, right? Like, it might not be for yeah. everyone, but I feel like with all of his movies, I'm like, oh, this is going to be, not that I watch them a lot, but I'm like, oh, this is going to be the time that I'm too old for it. Like, you know, say anything or this or whatever, just like, it's not going to work for me. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, it, it does. 
And I think that's just a testament to, like, both his shtick and being, you know, like, he's got a very specific thing that he does. Oh, no, he's just, like, really good at what he does. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing their next collaboration together, him and Tom Cruise, because um, I've only seen that movie once when, I, when it came out in theaters. Um, what's that one called again? Vanilla Sky. I've only seen uh, that movie once, and uh, I'm, from what I remember, it sort of is about like memory and the way that mm-hmm. the emotions are linked to that and everything. So it's going to be an interesting rewatch for that too, for sure, to see what these two guys like elaborate on. Like I only saw that movie once, and I remember that the, like one of the very very first scenes is him driving alone on a road with nobody around him, and there's just a Radiohead song playing. And I was like, oh, this movie is going to be my favorite movie of all time, and then it's not. But I'm excited to see that one again. You know, knowing where he's where he's come from, where he's going, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, more specifically, I mean, we're not wrapping up the episode yet, but the next movie we're doing is Eyes Wide Shut, and then Magnolia. So like, and then Mission Impossible Two, and then Vanilla Sky. Like this is like. I, I don't I I don't understand how one actor can be this prolific. I mean, like we know that we're getting it with Hanks, but like this is this is crazy. Well, it makes you wonder how can two actors be so prolific? You know, like honestly, like that these two guys are off on their own direction now, doing their own thing, but yet blazing these enormous trails in both directions, in, like, kind of opposite directions now, too. Like, it's kind of hard to comprehend, like, looking back at this and everything. (laughs) And maybe that's another thing, too, Joe. You mentioned Mission Impossible 2. I think I was finding a little too much Ethan Hunt left over in this movie for for my... You know? I think that was coming through to me, and I was like, oh, I've reset my mind for him to be Ethan, and now he's like, domesticated again. I was like, something's off. <laughs> you know, I feel like, and I, I wish that I could have this mindset with Hanks, and I wish I could have done it more with Keanu and Charlize, but he's just clicking for me in a way that I am like, he can do no wrong. And I, I don't understand, really, why. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know objectively that most of these movies are pretty good to great like I, i'm not saying that like oh i'm finding gems in like dirt you know what i mean like, right, I, i'm not right. saying that i'm elevating these performances or whatever but he's working for me in a way that i haven't seen since like either cage or shia like at least early-ish mm-hmm. cage like up to through like 2000 or like yes. most of shia like later shia right like no matter what they do i'm like oh i'm on board i don't care like this is just yep yep cool i had okay so i had two specific moments in this movie where i thought of cage and it like blew my mind. So one is when he quits, or not quits, but when he's fired. The, the who's coming with me, mm-hmm. you know? And he goes and he takes the goldfish, and he's like flailing his arms yep. around with his briefcase, and then he like points really fish hard. Have manners, Mike. Fish, fish have, have manners. Man- like that's such a cageism to me. Uh, and then the other was he's out to dinner there at that Mexican restaurant, and the 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 scene like is starting in on them and he's like explaining to her like how he's been feeling lately and he's like I've just been feeling like and he's like (laughs) flailing his arms and stuff I was like what is he's feeling so loose in this role like we're seeing this like goofy side of him I feel like hasn't really shown through a lot I'm connecting with Cruz in a way that I didn't really expect to and I think you know, I think that I've I've tried to express this to guests that we've had on. They're like, yeah, you're you're maybe like a little bit too into it, but I don't I don't know. It just it's just working for me in my pantheon of like great romantic actors. I'm not going to put Tom Cruise there, but I think that both in Far and Away and this movie, like he sells it as a romantic lead. I buy him as a romantic lead. I think that it works for the movie. I think it works with the narrative. I'm on board for those. You know, I still love Cage as rom com Cage. You know, I think that Hanks is more. You know, Joe versus the Volcano is a better romantic performance than we've seen out of Cruise so far. But, like, in the can he do this, it's like, yep, 
Chekhov, yes, I think. Chekhov's gun? No, Chekhov's cruise. Yes. You can just check off all the boxes. So here's some trivia about this movie. Or do you have, do you have more to say or no? Oh, no, no. I was just going to heap more praise on Cruise. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, yeah, he... Never mind. <laughs> so this movie, like I said, had a $50 million budget, made more than $273 million, was the ninth wow. highest grossing film of 96. So wow. it was very wildly successful. It won one Academy Award. Cuba Gooding Jr. for Best yep. Supporting Actor was nominated oh. for Best Picture. Lost to the English Patient. Cruz was nominated for Best Actor. Lost, lost to Jeffrey Rush in a movie called Shine, which I yeah. don't know. Oh, it's good. The piano movie. I knew it as the piano movie. I feel like there's a He's bunch like of piano a, movies yeah. I just haven't seen, like Adrian Brody <laughs> and like all those, like all those movies. It's just like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and it also was nominated for Best Film Editing. Lost to the English Patient, which again. Maybe if the editing was mm. a little bit better, was a little bit shorter, maybe it would have won that. Who knows? I don't know. Mm. Golden Globes, though. Cruz won Best Actor for Musical or Comedy. Cuba was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but lost to Ed Norton in Primal Fear. Have you seen that movie or no? Once a long time ago, and that, I did not know that. When I was like really into like Fight Club and Rounders and stuff, I had one friend who was just like, you should see, you should watch Primal Fear, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And like the whole movie he plays, spoilers for Primal Fear, a movie that I barely remember. But the whole movie he plays like a mentally handicapped acolyte or bellboy or whatever, mm-hmm, like at a church, mm-hmm. like he's like a whatever. And then like it turns out that like maybe he wasn't mentally or handicapped at all. does he? <laughs> he was like, he was faking it to like set up a murder. And it's like, oh. And so this whole movie, I'm like, I don't understand what's going on here. Then in the end, I'm like, oh, I get it now. But apparently that was good enough for him to win a Golden Globe. I don't know. I guess so. And then it won, or was nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and lost to Evita. Um, so it won one Oscar, won one Golden Globe. Specifically for us, important that Cruz knocked, notched a Golden Globe. Yeah. I actually want to look if he won, if he ever won another one. Really sucks, man, about fucking Cuba. Because I just heard on like the radio today more shit about that and everything. And it's like, it sucks, man, because I love him in this. And I love him in that Men of Honor. But he's not a Man of Honor. So it's like, yeah. oh, God, it's the worst. So Tom Cruise was nominated for three Oscars. Never won one, at least so far. Born on the 4th of mm-hmm. July, Jerry Maguire, Magnolia. Golden Globes, he's been nominated for seven. He's won three. Nominated for Risky Business, did not win. Nominated one for Born on the Fourth of July. Nominated and lost for A Few Good Men. One for Jerry Maguire. Will go on to win for Magnolia. And then would be nominated for both Last Samurai and Tropic Thunder and not win either of those. Oh, so interesting. Cameron Crowe showed Tom Cruise pictures of Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy to demonstrate the kind of chemistry he wanted between him and Renee Zellweger. So it's kind of like an old school, kind of old movie, old timey. Okay. Oh, there's another line. Oh that I really love in this movie. And I don't know that it works. I think it's more of a movie line than a real line. But when she comes out dressed for their maybe date, maybe not date, but then it becomes a date because they sleep together, then he's just in, like, a jeans and a green, you know, faded button-down, which, still, he looks great in that outfit. But he says, that's not a dress, that's an Audrey Hepburn movie. I was like, holy shit, that's a line. <laughs> like, that's not a line that people say, but, like, that's a line. It's funny that uh, Cameron Crowe showed him that material because I think we've been talking over on the Hanks podcast how, like, he's got that down. Like, he is, like, he could have worked in those 40s and stuff like with the patter and the speed in which he can like sort of keep up and deliver and stuff the rhythm the rhythm of those movies is like written all over Hanks I feel I don't know if they quite reached that in this I don't know if Cruz you know necessarily did it for me I still bought bought them like as a couple so you know that's something apparently Cruz loved say anything so much that he sought out Cameron Crowe was like, if you ever want me to be in a movie, I will do it. Uh-huh. And so when Cameron Crowe approached him for this, he was like, hey, remember that thing you said about saying anything? You want to do this movie? Well, remember when he was like, I want to do 
something with Jackie Earl Haley, so they were in losing it together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey the man, whole whatever works. He was in it. <laughs> this was Cruz's fifth consecutive movie that made a hundred million dollars, which was a record at the time. It might still be a record, I don't know, but I also feel like anybody who's in the Marvel in the Avengers age. movies, right? Yeah. You know, Bonnie Hunter. The toughest part of playing this movie was playing someone who didn't like Tom Cruise. <laughs> Which I think is really funny. Could have had some of our guests on as that. Yeah. Paula Abdul choreographed Cuba's touchdown dance, which I was like, I I knew that. And then he he does like this little like basic dance. And I was like, oh, that's it. And then he like does like this like break dance. I was like, oh. Yes. Okay. okay. Cuba Gooding Jr. used to break. He used to be a break dancer. And he used to go on like late night with Conan O'Brien, all like the old ones when he was on at like 1230. He would go on and every time he was on, he would like bust a windmill or something or spin on his head. But like, he's like Vin Diesel. Like, they could break dance. It's crazy. That was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a little much that he jumped up into the fans and everything. But I guess back then, it's, you know, what was this, 25 years old or something like that? I, you know, nowadays, he might not get up that high. But The whole, like, a lot of the things at the end were not really believable. At least in terms of modern day, like the, the excess of his touchdown, touchdown celebration when he's on a sports reporter show. And they're like, here's, we're going to announce your new contract here on air. Like, and he hasn't seen it yet. I'm like, none of this is real. Like, this is all, <laughs> what is going on? Oh, you mean uh, someone else would read his contract to him before he had a chance to yeah. sign it? <laughs> like it's what he wants, and I, I still I get I get the emotion of the movie, the emotion of the scene, but it's just like oh yeah, it holds the record for the least amount of money ever made in a number one at the box office week. It made five point huh. five million dollars in its seventh week, and I guess it was a slow weekend, but there was an uptick after this movie, like after Oscar nominations came out. And there's not only for Best Picture and Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor and all this different stuff. People went to go see it, and I guess there was nothing else that weekend, so it didn't make a ton of money, but it made more than anything else. So it's like the lowest. I don't know that the number's ever going to be like beaten or broken, because now you know the dollar is worth less and things cost more. I just think it's a weird honor question mark to have yeah it's very obscure fact about this movie like probably the most obscure fact renee zellweger called this one of the greatest movies of all time and Cruz said it was quote a beautiful experience to make it so that's the trivia so here's here's the casting so i I texted you earlier there's some crazy casting so okay the role of avery the fiance i'll work my way up avery the fiance who's played by kelly preston mrs john travolta jennifer Connolly, and tom hanks's main lady meg ryan were each offered the role but both turned it down and Diane Lane and Alyssa Milano both auditioned for that role. Diane Lane and Alyssa Milano seem like they're very far apart in age to be auditioning for the same role. Like this, like Alyssa Milano is probably actually twenty six, and Diane Lane was probably Diane Lane was probably like in her thirty six. Yeah. I don't know, but like that's that's a far spectrum. But okay, I think that you know Kelly Preston's good. I think that uh, one of the funniest things in the movie is when Renee Zellweger is telling Bonnie Hunt, like you know whoever found or whoever landed him has to be one classy broad, and then we smash cut to them having. <laughs> wild sex in bed and she says don't ever stop fucking me and I was like oh okay this is amazing and then them naked eating strawberries on the table mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like a painting <laughs> I wonder them. I wonder if I can use that for the art for this episode like I got one thing where he's mm. like in the sunglasses outside at night when he's getting picked up drunk from the cab oh, so like, much I have that right now but the, this movie them sexily eating strawberries naked is is, is a great image there's a lot of nudity in this movie, mostly male nudity, mostly butt. There's that one locker room scene where the oh, reporter, yeah. she like drops her microphone right in front of the dude's dong and like tries not to look at it. I was like, that's rough. Uh, but there's, you know, Cuba air dries in this. I used to, I got air drying from this movie when I was in high school. I tried doing that for a while, like an idiot. There's a scene where he's walking out of the locker room. Jerry walks out first and Cuba comes after and he's, and he's supposed to be like fully naked, but like you could catch, he's like cupping his junk in his hand yep. for him. Yep. 
And then in the next shot, his arms are like wide apart and everything like that. I thought that was just the funniest thing. Apparently that whole sequence took two full days to shoot. So I guess Kubo was just like naked or mostly naked for a long time. A lot lot of butt. A lot of male butt. Props to them for that. Dude, have you been uh, watching The Righteous Gemstones by any chance? Oh, they are are firmly committed to male nudity (laughs) on that show. It's insane. (laughs) It is. uh, Respect for an art, I guess. I suppose. The Kuba role, uh, Rod, Kuba beat out 50 other actors for the role Whoa. of Rod. Damon Wayans was at one point considered, and Jamie Foxx auditioned for the role. Oh, so those wow. are some names big there. For the role of Dorothy, the Renee Zellweger role, this is weird, and this is shitty if this is true, that Cameron Crowe offered the role to Janine Garofalo and said, just lose some weight and you can be in it. She oh. lost the weight, and then she was like, oh, you cast Renee Zellweger. Cool. Jesus. So I don't know if that's real or not, but again, being a woman in Hollywood, maybe. Jennifer Lopez, her agent, told her to turn the role down as a quote, wasn't right for her. Oh, I don't know. I think she could be good. Yeah, I might just have you know, out-of-sight goggles on, but I think that she could have pulled this off. I would have liked to have seen that. Especially her with Cruz would have been an interesting couple. Parker Posey was considered for the role. Connie Britton, Mrs. Coach, was considered for the role. Mira Sorvino and Marissa Tomei auditioned, which I don't know why Marissa Tomei is auditioning with an Oscar in her back pocket, but Hmm. that's neither here nor there. Patricia Arquette, Cameron Diaz, Bridget Fonda, Nicole Kidman, again, Courtney Love, Molly Ringwald, and Uma Thurman were considered. Um, Mm. So a lot of people there. Cameron Diaz around this time, this is before something about Mary. This is right before, I guess, probably her breakout role in My Best Friend's Wedding. So, like, I could see her there. I just, I think, you know, Renee Zellweger is great in this movie. Yeah. Was this, like, Renee Zellweger's breakout role? Because Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. Because this is the type of role where you discover someone for and stuff. Like, it could have, I just don't know. Like, you went down that whole list and everything, but there's something fresh about Renee Zellweger in this movie and and her performance and stuff, like, as a newcomer, I think. And it's it's still there. Like, there's still an energy in her performance where it's like, she's doing something no one else is, like, doing about this so. i haven't seen her in a lot of things i'm looking on her letterbox right now she was, oh, a, she I was, forgot in, she was keanu in that, movie. that keanu movie the whole truth <laughs> i forgot all about that I, I don't remember the movie much at all but i remember loving cinderella man the boxing movie with her and russell crowe oh, like i remember I still, that being I, yeah, still awesome see that. she's also in days and views apparently and uh she's in chicago which i have not seen and then bridget jones diary and stuff like that but uh there's a lot of her filmography i've not seen but i just remember loving cinderella man and then okay. Shadow Keanu Club. Uh, the big one, Jerry Maguire, the role himself. Edward Burns was the second choice to play Jerry. I don't know if you no. know Edward Burns. Oh, of course I know Edward Burns. She's the one. Is such a great movie. It's one of his like indie darlings that he he made back in the day. But because uh, he I, seems like I like I don't know that I know him. He's almost a leading man kind of type. I feel like he's leading man for TV. If that uh, that doesn't sound like is he like a, what's his called? What was that guy who you really hated on Charlize's podcast? Oh um, no, no, Stewart. <laughs> Stuart Stu Thompson Townsend. I think? Townsend Stuart Townsend Is he like because that's who I'm equating him to in my brain and I don't know if that's true no, or not No he's not that like Euro he's not Euro he's more Boston-y Okay know? okay Yeah he's more of an he's like an affable Affleck like he's a really like kind of uh, gotcha. ha- okay. handsome long-haired affleck and kind of guy Fair Woody Harrelson was offered the role and told James L. Brooks of Simpsons fame who produced this movie quote no one's gonna give a shit about an agent Well what an, Woody Yeah that's wrong. what I'm talking about earlier but right like, He's wrong though right No so, of course. Well, that's the other thing is that yeah, the like no one knew they wanted this at the time. Yeah, the mindset. I guess the mindset is right, but you know, it turns out you know, in the retrospect, hindsight, twenty twenty. So here's mm-hmm. a list of people who were considered: Alec Baldwin, Johnny Depp, Sean nope. Penn, John hmm. Travolta. Which John Travolta and Kelly Preston in the same movie would have been that would have been very right? long, especially when they like get 
broke it up and stuff. Bruce Willis and Tim Allen. So again, sort of a uh, Toy Story connection that Hanks and Tim Allen were both considered for the same role a year after Toy Story. So there's no way Tim Allen, like he found his role in like the Santa Claus. Like that's the type of like movies he should be making, not not these serious things and yeah. stuff. Uh, Sean Penn would have been interesting. I don't know, too old though. I think, right? I don't know. I think, he would, I don't it know. would have been another Cameron Crowe movie. Yeah, was in Fast yeah. Times. <laughs> Spicoli as an agent now, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. So the other Tom, I mean, we have to, we have no guests tonight, but I think that we both think that Tom Hanks could have done this. You think it probably would have been better with Tom Hanks in it? Or at least as good? As good, for sure. I just don't think that, you know, I feel like they amped up the sex factor because Tom Cruise is super sexy. Like, And there's nothing wrong with that at all, especially since it's most of this is geared more towards like couples I'd say you know men and women so like there's nothing wrong with that and I just think with Hanks it might have played I don't know there's like an edge to this movie that might have gotten a little lost that I might not have minded losing like you know I think it still could have worked if it was a little more like on the duller side as far as just like not as like shocking you know like you wouldn't get Tom Hanks eating naked strawberries across from his wife and you know what i'm saying like that kind of yep. stuff yep. so like i yep. think if yep. you lost that stuff this movie would still work really really well so i do think yeah. i'm sort of surprised at like how not hard of an r but like there's a lot of nudity like we were talking about there's also a lot of language too i'm just like it yeah. doesn't have to be like it feels like if this was like a pg-13 rated movie like i wonder how much money it would have made then and maybe yeah. you lose a bit of the authenticity that people like about this but i don't know like it just seems know. You know, Jonathan, he says the F word, like a lot of people just cursing, just like it feels natural, but also feels like it doesn't need to be there. You're right, because the movie has at its heart, it feels super sincere. You know, I never feel like the movie is like faking it or any of that kind of stuff. And so it would have been really interesting if this was PG-13, you know, and it would have opened it up to a bigger audience. And, you know, sometimes those restrictions force you to be more creative. And yeah, you didn't need cute little lip Nickney saying the F word like that. That is one of those things. I mean, it's it's funny. It's just like, I think that's one of those things where it's like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Like, but, you know, kids said that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's just for the moment. Like what bearing did that have on the rest of the movie? Nothing, really. We have an email address here on the show. Run at cageclub.me. If you want to write in, let us know what you think of the movies, the podcast, whatever you want to do. Run at cageclub.me. Two questions, Mike. I'm going to say yes to both of them. Does he run? He runs twice in this movie, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I vividly remember that at the end when he runs... Well, first he runs to the sidelines, and then yep. he runs through the airport, I think, yep. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are two things. And, of course, a football agent named Lightning McQueen would be awesome. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's no <laughs> better name for a football agent than Lightning McQueen. So shout out to Har Perfect, Har Perfect on Twitter for that... Any Tom Cruise character could be renamed Lightning McQueen and not a thing would change. I agree. Lightning McQueen as a football agent? Absolutely. Definitely. Mike, the last thing we have to do is nominate this for some awards. So I was thinking, and I don't know if we want to name the awards after. I also don't know this is necessarily a good name because it's not necessarily Cruise's thing. A better name maybe than the Golden Oak Leaves, the Golden Sunglasses, the Golden Mask. Just the Quannies. Hmm. Again, not his thing. That's firmly Cuba's thing. But the Quannies. Just putting it out there. Okay, okay. I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not shooting it down. It's on the table. Because Quan, as we all know, means love, respect, community, the dollars too, the entire package. Can't forget those dollars. Best film, worst film, I'm gonna say no, because I don't think I still can't believe that you loved Interview with the Vampire as much as you did. I, yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you on this one. I think this is again closer to the top for sure than the bottom, but mm-hmm. you have so many there already and I have this sort of in the middle of my list. You know, it wasn't so much thinking back, it's not necessarily like 
the movie per se interview with a vampire but it's tom cruise's lestat that is just still to this day i just love that i don't know he's just on another level in that movie best director filmmaker i will say cameron crowe for jerry Maguire because i think that you know in terms of an auteur again i don't know if we're going to keep this category but i think that in terms of making a cameron crowe movie this is a very good example of that i think no absolutely yeah i mean you know i i i just want to reiterate like i don't hate this movie you know there's lots of things i love about this movie and everything i just this time watching it i'm just as surprised to to not love it as much as i used to so hopefully yeah next time around best of the worst no best cruise role i'm gonna say yes absolutely okay without his performance this movie does not work all right the movie's called jerry Maguire. Well, yeah he's the titular character yeah so yeah definitely so most badass role no most wasted performance no best fight he doesn't really fight anybody i mean he sort of has a verbal he, fight with jay moore but that's um nothing. kelly preston punches him three times in the face right true <laughs> that's very true best theme song soundtrack score i'm gonna say no oh my god it, it could almost be worst it's got that song where it's like oh, wanna oh the bruce the bruce Springsteen like but like walled gardens or whatever yeah yeah uh-huh. I, can't, I can't with that it's like you know a puppy in a cage commercial when that song comes on best car chase race no best dance scene cuba's touchdown dance oh it's not oh sorry right it's not hey uh, but yeah other cruise. than that My yeah bad. i would My for bad. sure best cruise outfit wardrobe no best sunglasses i'll throw this in there i mean it's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing he wears the sunglasses a lot not only that, Renee Zellweger wears a lot of sunglasses in this. She does. <laughs> Best death does not die. Best line. So there's a lot mm. of freakouts in this movie. I feel like the, the freakouts are where we're going to have to sort of figure out which one is the best. But best line... I mean, show me the money, you complete me. I mean, uh, it's got to be one of those, right? I think so. I'm Mr. Black People. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's got to be show me the money. Although that's it's yeah. kind of a freakout, but I think that's more... I th- we'll, we'll put it in the show me the, show me the money best freakout now that's a little different there was the one he's an he's an up at dawn pride swallowing siege I actually know I want to do show me the money as the best freakout because I feel like him in his office after having been fired yelling about you know show me the money I yeah. uh, you my motherfucker like all that different stuff like I think <laughs> that whole thing is like oh he's losing his mind alright I'm there he's going the extra mile to keep that client <laughs> I love the black man show me the money I love black people you my mofo Oh, show me the money. Is there a different line in here? Because I feel like, you know, for a Camera Crow movie, we kind of have to nominate it for a line, too. I guess the whole thing at the end, like the whole final speech, right? Like the whole, hello, hello, I'm looking for my wife, you complete me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'll be honest with you, like, I just, like, stopped in my tracks when that scene came on, and then, like, you know, by the end of it, I was wiping away tears. Like, so no matter what, like, this movie definitely earns all of its sort of, like, uh, conclusions or, what you know, like, it, the payoffs. The payoffs are definitely there. For sure. Best sex scene, I will uh, kind of <laughs> want to nominate the <laughs> smash cut to... I love, uh, what is this music? <laughs> yeah, that's also very good. Yeah, that sex scene's crazy when she's like, I never want to stop, and he's like, we're going to have to stop eventually. Yeah. Most athletic feet? I don't think he does anything in here that's particularly well, athletic that's long time sex with kelly preston maybe no i'm just joking but she was like throwing him around into the wall and like bookshelves and stuff it yeah looked, it looked like it was exhausting best running scene i will say running through the airport in jerry Maguire. best nice. love story i mean again there might be a better one but there's there hasn't been too many here so i'll just say you know jerry and dorothy because i mean if it if it if it made you cry at the end of a movie that you weren't crazy about like right yeah you know, it works best ensemble cast I'm gonna say yes. Hmm. We might cut it. We might cut it down. But I feel like okay. Bonnie Hunt, in terms of okay. yeah. Nikki, in terms of 
uh, mm-hmm. Regina King in terms of Jay Moore, like everybody there. Like it's not like there's constantly like a chamber of people around him, but there there kind of is. Yeah, no, that's a good call. When you when you started listing them off, I was like, yeah, you know, you made a good case there. And then final one, best non-cruise actor, male or female. Do we want to I nominate mean, Renee Zellweger? Do we want to nominate Cuba? Do we want to nominate uh, someone else? I mean, as much as I want to nominate Cuba, I just can't do it anymore. Not not these days. So I, I would be more than happy to nominate Renee Zellweger or Lipnicki. Oh, uh, we'll do both those. That's fine. Do them as like a pair. So I sort of bullied you into 12 nominations. Best Director, <laughs> Filmmaker, which Micah, or 11 maybe. Uh, best Role, Best Sunglasses, Best Line, Best Freak Out, Best Sex Scene, Best Running Scene, Best Love Story, Best Ensemble Cast, and then Best Non-Cruise Actor, Male and Female. So we'll, we'll call those down as we get closer to the Quanis or whatever. Maybe we'll have a whole episode where we just cut down the awards. <laughs> I mean, we're definitely doing an award nomination sort of ceremony the yeah. you know, announce whatever mm-hmm. they're going to be. So we're going to do that for sure. Whether we record our culling or not, I don't know if that'd be good radio or not. I'm no, not sure. No, I, I doubt we will. <laughs> so again, like I said, next movie we're doing two big ones in a row. Mike, oh, I can't yeah. believe two, that we're here already. Two big ones or two long ones, or just big ones, I guess. Yeah. Well, they're they're monumental and also long. I mean, the fact that he's working with you know Kubrick and also Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, uh, Stanley uh, Kubrick, if you will, and uh, Paul Is this Thomas Isla Films. And, uh, it just may be Eyes Wide Shut, 1999, uh, Kubrick's last film. The voiceover at the beginning of this movie. So this is how long it took to make Eyes Wide Shut. The voiceover <laughs> that Tom Cruise recorded at the beginning of this movie, he did from London while filming Eyes Wide Shut, which would come out three years later. Like, that was the process of making that movie. Like, there's no movie... He doesn't have a movie come out in 97. He doesn't have a movie come out in 98, because in 99 he does Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia. Um, We're also going to do do the song uh, or the the music video, Amy Mann's Save Me, which is also, I think he's in. I think he might even sing that song. You know, okay, so... I've never seen in Magnolia in its entirety. What? I, I am so excited to Whoa. finally. Whoa! All right, I watched Lucy. that for the first time with my parents, and my mom walked out of the room. I was like, "That makes sense." I think I had to turn it off because at the time it was just too intense. I didn't know what the fuck was happening, and then I turned. So I've seen like kind of the first half. I don't know. It's a long ass movie. I'm not sure what I've seen, so I'm really looking forward to checking. I mean, this have out you seen the Tom Cruise scene in that movie? Oh yeah, stage. Yes. Yes, yeah. I mean, I've seen, but that's throughout the whole movie. It comes back and forth to him on yes. stage. So I'm not sure which part of that you're referring uh, to. The, so. the, the part about taming the cock. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, I know that all about that. That part is yeah, when my that's... mom walks out. She's like, I don't think this movie is for me. I'm like, I, I, I would probably agree with that. <laughs> for all things Cruise Club, actually, every other Friday, we alternate this with Tom Hanks, Hanks for the Memories. So next week, we're doing The Bonfire of the Vanities, a movie that we are cautiously creeping up toward <laughs> and then between the two long ones for cruise we're gonna have radio flyer uh, for Hanks of the Memories. So for all things Cruise Club and Hanks of the Memories and all 25 shows in the network, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, like I said before, run at cageclub.me. Come back next week for Bonfire of the Vanities over on our Hanks of the Memories feed. Come back in two weeks for Eyes Wide Shut, the third and final Cruise Kidman collaboration and the movie I cannot wait. We're going to have uh, two great guests on that one, on both these next two. All of our guests are great, but I'm very excited to talk about these next two movies. So excited. You know, Cruise Club keeps trucking away, and I'm just glad that we're here for the ride. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time for Eyes Wide Shut right here on Cruise Club.